Hey everyone, I'm your host, Alex Taylor, co-founder of Parallel. Welcome to Parallel Lives, a podcast where we learn about the tireless yet vibrantly challenging role the women we admire most live in parallel to their careers and personal pursuits, becoming and being a mom. Today, I caught up with influencer and digital entrepreneur, Cezanne Hendricks. She is a mom of two who is currently pregnant with her third on the way and is a favorite follow for beauty tutorials and inspiring messages on cultivating a fulfilling life. We chatted about how she learned to surrender and let go of perfectionism during her first pregnancy, postpartum, or what she calls fog season, and how she rediscovered herself amidst the haze. She shared the story of how her parents met her partner and her daughter for the first time when she was eight months old, and how she navigated the cultural differences in family dynamics. She is deeply wise and full of so many good tidbits of advice. I cannot recommend this episode enough. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Cezanne, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It is such an honor to have you. (laughs) Alex, thank you for having me on. This is such a fun, um, such a fun way to start my day. You know, it's like the unexpected, (laughs) you never know what's going to happen, right? When you work for yourself. And so getting to start my day and and hang out with you, it's, it's, it's going to be a fun time. So thanks for having me. And I have been following you since very early days. I think it might've been 2014 when I was at Who at Where and we- contracted you to do some branded content and partnerships and we were all obsessed with you. You were just the coolest. So I just have to let you know. (laughs) 2014. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That is wow. That's like dinosaur years of it is. It is. It is. Yeah. What a world. So it's just been really beautiful to watch you grow and evolve and build your family. You're you're pregnant right now, right? With baby number three. The family continues to grow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. From 2014 to now. Wow. So much has happened, right? And there's going to be a third baby joining us this summer in our little posse. So I'm excited, a little nervous, but I'm very thrilled that we're going to be welcoming a little baby boy now in the the mix. So two girls and a boy. I feel so blessed and, and just excited. And how old are your other littles? Well, they are five, but I mean, she's like five going on 30. And then the two-year-old <laughs> is like going on 40. I mean, oh she's her own person. So I got a five and an almost two and a half year old. So okay. wow. yes, they're starting to play together. And I'm like, yes, this is the moment I've been waiting for. <laughs> yes. It's the best. It's the best. I've been watching that happen with my children. It's such a beautiful thing to see unfold their little friendship and Oh, great. Also, a little time for me to <laughs> sit down. <Exactly. laughs> like, take a shower. You know? <laughs> yeah, take a shower. Exactly. Well, congratulations. You have a gorgeous pregnancy glow, and I'm so excited for you. So I thought we could, before we kind of jump into your motherhood journey, let's start at the beginning. Let's go back to 2014. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, who were you and what were you doing before you became a mom? Oh my goodness, 2014. Rewind, burker, burker. <laughs> Let's think about that for a second. Wow, considering mom brain and pregnancy brain. Yeah. <laughs> that was um, a year before I was getting married to Stevie. And I remember that year specifically being the year I was living in Los Angeles. 
when I started to get really planted into the city and into the whole content creator, blogger, influencer scene. And so that was a year where, man, I feel like I was going a million miles per hour. I was, you know, pulling some all-nighters to get blog posts up and just networking like crazy, going to events and that was such a different time of my life because I can't imagine doing that today. I mean, I'm definitely chasing, but it's chasing my children around. But um, that was the season where, yeah, when we were doing the who, what, where, there was a lot of photo shoots and fun campaigns. I would say it was really the start of an exciting adventure in the whole influencer space that was still relatively new at the time. So it was exciting. It was overwhelming and challenging, but I was starting to see it become a lucrative business. And so I was just so excited. I was chomping at the bits because I knew I needed to survive out there anyways. And my husband now, Stevie, at the time, I begged him to come on board and be sort of like my little business partner. Yeah. Photographer. And, you know, he was just so excited and he saw, yeah, the opportunity. So yeah, that was 2014. I was just a young girl chasing my dreams in LA, moved from Texas. And I was very just dedicated, dedicated to that season of life being all about my career and pursuing my passion. And then obviously after that season, getting married to Stevie opened up a whole nother can of content worms in the sense where I was no longer just sharing fashion and beauty. I realized the community I was starting to to grow, I knew that they were were also searching for more. And I felt like that was an invitation for me to start just sharing more of my heart, more about what I was going through at the time, you know, being married to somebody outside of my culture who, you know, that was really hard in that season because my family just was not about it. And so I found a lot of therapy by just showing the the trueness of what I was going through in that season. And that's where I really started to see like, it's not just about growing a following, but I'm starting to really keep the attention of these women who are following because they're going through something similar. And that those kinds of conversations would comfort me. And I feel like the rest is history. I've been so blessed to be able to do a lot of stuff here in this influencer jungle gym of an industry and now, now I'm getting to do it right back here in my hometown after seven years in LA, being back in Texas and having a family now that I'm growing and trying to cultivate a good life over here for. And it's just, it's all come full circle, you know, being able to be able to still do it. And, but yeah, I feel like that's almost, it's like almost a decade ago when I started, yeah. I feel like a little bit of a dinosaur, not going to lie. No, no, it's amazing. I mean, good things take time. And it sounds like it's also been a good journey. There's been so much you've learned and we are going to dive into a lot of the things that you mentioned. But yeah, you really have built a really tremendous platform across YouTube and Instagram and all the spaces. And anyone listening, please follow because it will not disappoint. (laughs) Truly. (laughs) Truly. So, you know, you had this tremendous career and platform that you built and you start to mention about how you're kind of transitioning to more lifestyle, all these things were happening for you. And that that's a lot. Did you even think it was possible to become a mom when you had so much going on career-wise? 
Oh my goodness. I was 28 years old when I found out I was pregnant with my first and we were going to start trying that year, but we also knew that there were some other things we needed to like accomplish before then. And it's amazing when you realize you're not in control of God's timing. And so we found out we, we got pregnant and it was like six months before we had thought. And we were in the thick of like buying a new home and trying to get situated. And then also, you know, we were figuring out um, the, the business, launching a new business at the time. So there was a lot going on in our world. And then you add the layer of hormones and just being pregnant. And it definitely hit me like, like by surprise. It's like when you kind of get winded in the stomach when something hits you and you're just like out of breath for a little bit. That's kind of what it started to feel like as soon as I found out I was pregnant. I started to just feel the pressure that can come with realizing that there's really, there's no way out of this thing. Like no matter what, this beautiful baby is coming into the world in nine months and I have nine months get my life in order to, you know, control my routine, get everything in place. And that was like my initial reaction was like, everything needs to be perfect before I can welcome the baby into the world. And so I put a lot of unrealistic expectations on myself, an entrepreneur and as a soon to be mom. And I think those expectations truthfully just come from the fear of the unknowns. Like it's your first time, you know, having baby. And so you have the fear of like, what's going on with my body? You've got the fear of like, oh my God, I have to labor this baby. Is this going to be painful? You think about the unknowns of like, what's going to happen with our business? Am I going to be able to do this after I have a baby? It was all the things. And then you throw the hormones in there and it's like, oh man, my Forget about it. <laughs> was just like, oh my goodness, who are you? <laughs> it's but- a lot. <laughs> It is a lot, as you know, because you're also a mother and it doesn't matter whether or not you work for yourself or you just, you know, you have another job or you're, you know, in the process of maybe figuring out in that waiting season, what is my next calling? But when you get pregnant, there is that immediate like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Am I going to lose myself and my freedoms? And it all stems from that fear of the unknown. So I just wish somebody would tell me that when I found out. Am I the only one that feels this way? Oh my God. I felt like I was very much in a crazy season of my life. I love how you say season because that's such a beautiful way to kind of look back on how it's all unfolding. And it's almost like we want to grip onto everything because we have no control of what's happening. So how did you navigate those fears while you were pregnant? And did you learn to let go of that seeking out of perfection? Yeah, that's such a great question, Alex. I mean, I wish that I had that response that was like, you know, I woke up one day and I just realized I needed to get a grip and then something supernaturally divine happened and I finally felt okay. It's like, no way. I think for me, it was about when I knew that I couldn't control things that were changing around me, I would even become more fixate on it. I'm such a problem solver. Like if I see that there's something going on, I'm like, let's find the solution. And I was noticing that a lot of things that were happening in and around my life, changes that were happening in my body, I was very much fixated on it. You know, when you think about pregnancy, you think about weight gain. And that is something that so many women are ashamed to talk about. Put the fact that you're in the public spotlight at the same time and you have brands wanting to collaborate with you, but asking you, can you make sure you crop your stomach because this is not a maternity thing that we want to promote? And it's like, 
layer on top of, you know, feeling like every time you go to the doctor and say you step on the scale, nobody explains to you the breakdown of what the actual weight that you gain in pregnancy is and means. It's not from eating the cupcake last night. And so there's a lot of just unknowns and not a lot of people talk about. So navigating it for the first time and experiencing it, I was very much like, the changes happening in my body, the itchy boobs, the itchy stomach, nothing fitting me, saying goodbye to my jeans and having a moment in my closet where I'm like, am I ever going to see you again, jeans? It's like, (laughs) these are all real things. And while it may seem silly, when you're in that season of life, you're sort of having to figure out like, okay, I can't change what's happening, but how do I surrender to what's happening? And that's what I had to learn. And it's really hard to surrender. And sometimes we've seen that when you surrender, it's a sign of weakness, but truthfully, there's strength in surrendering. And that's exactly what my first pregnancy had to teach my hard-headed self was you've got to surrender to this process and you have to trust the process. And that is scary when you know, you want to show up every day and be your best and do your best. So I feel like my first pregnancy forced me to surrender. And once I surrendered, which I would say was probably once that baby came out, I mean, it's like, it takes nine months to have a baby. And now I know why it's because in that nine months, not only are you birthing new life and a child, but you are birthing a new you at the same time. And it was just like, I was like shedding this old skin that I was really sad about too, because I liked who I was, you know what I mean? But it was like having to lean into the discomforts of like, I'm going to be a new person after this, whether I like it or not. And either I can surrender and allow myself the grace to fall into that beautiful version that's waiting for me, or I can continue to go against the wave and just fight this thing. And I quickly learned by the end of the journey that I just have to let, I have to let go and I need to surrender to this process. And what a beautiful blessing that waits for you on the other side of a testing, you know, when you're being tested there's just such a beautiful blessing on the other side. And I just want to encourage anybody listening that if you're in the thick of it, be your first pregnancy or your first trimester, or you're about to give birth and you're freaking out, I just want to say, like, just surrender. There's so much strength in doing that. And it takes away so much pressure that you're putting on yourself. So that's kind of, kind of, that was kind of my, uh, my long-winded response to your question about <laughs> no, how I that got was <laughs> that was above and beyond, and truthfully, probably some of the most real, honest, and valuable advice I've ever heard someone share about oh, this experience. Because it's true, we want to, you know, we're clawing on to this woman and this idea and what it's supposed to be and who we're supposed to be and who we were. And the reality is, you have to, as my daughter's favorite movie would say, let it go. <laughs> She's that's, obsessed. That's a, that's a powerful quote. Well, <laughs> it is though. You have to let go and accept and surrender. Mm-hmm. And you might be really surprised to find out who you are on the other side. And this rebirth as a mother is a really beautiful, incredible person that you didn't even know was possible. I mean, I learned so much about myself that I didn't think I was capable of doing. I'm sure you can relate. I was just going to add to that. That's so yeah. beautiful because there's so much... Um, there's so many lies out there that say things like, 
you know, once you become a mom, prepare yourself. This is going to be the hardest job that you ever do. You never get to clock off. You're going to potentially lose your freedoms and possibly yourself. But what people don't tell you is that also you can find a new purpose. Motherhood is, there's like this beautiful treasure chest waiting for you once you become a mother and you get to open it and see like a, a totally newfound purpose. And you also learn how to love in a new way through this beautiful child that you've been chosen to be the parent for. And then you also start to realize that, oh my gosh, while I thought I was so in control of my life, I'm seeing the beauty in having a more tender heart. There's strength in that surrendering, like we were saying. And you actually become more strong, I believe, as, as a mom, because you're forced to navigate through the unknowns and you're forced to face challenges and leaps, as you mm -hmm. know, with kids. Yes. <laughs> and that's something about it that like your muscle, I, I can't describe it, like something like your internal muscle, like if your soul was a muscle, it just gets stronger. And so that's something that people don't always talk about because we're so concerned on the surface level of like, well, there goes my freedoms and there goes... But that's not true, you know? And so I just hope that my life can hopefully be a representation of like the real stuff that goes on in different seasons because the fog season is so different, which is like the fourth trimester for anyone yes. who's like the fog season. Tell, tell me more weird. about your, your fog season. I actually love <laughs> the fact that you're calling postpartum the fog season. It could not be more accurate of how it feels. It's just that weird in-between time where even you don't even know what to wear anymore. You're like, do I still wear my maternity clothes or do I try to squeeze into some comfy stuff? Like yeah. it is this, this weird fog that like after you have the baby, there's just that bliss, that excitement, but also you're getting to know this little glob and it's just, you're dealing with all the postpartum emotions of after having a baby and navigating this new routine and that's why I call it the, the fog in the fourth trimester because it is literally like the three to four months after you have the baby. I mean, don't even expect to bounce back or to do all of the things on your to-do list. That is such a, what I see is now a precious season after getting to do it twice and now a third time coming up. If I could go back and tell my first postpartum self anything, it would be just to not feel like you have to rush through this process or figure everything out. You know, don't freak out about the breastfeeding. Like it's all going to work out. Just try to be present where your feet are in this mm -hmm. season. So realistically, advice. as a content creator, I was feeling like I, you know, it, it, with my first pregnancy, I had said, I'm going to be taking some time off. But like, what is really maternity leave for a lot of women who work for themselves, right? I'm like, uh, I said, I don't I'm know. Time off. But really, you, when you share your life on the internet, it's like, how much of this is work and how much of it is just me wanting to share it. But I'm also, I'm clocking in in a sense. So I really was like, I'm going to take time off. It was really hard for me to actually separate myself from what I was so used to and conditioned to doing every day, which was getting on my phone and all of that, that sometimes you miss out on the beautiful season and the moment that you're in right now. And so the postpartum phase for me looked really different with my first than it did with my second, because the first, I totally jumped back in way too soon. I was not ready. And I 
witnessed that firsthand as a content creator feeling like as soon as I hit six weeks, I've got to get into that filming room and I've got to talk to these people and connect with the women who've been waiting so patiently. And I wanted to try to serve the community that I feel like shows up every day. So I felt like, okay, I'm going to get back into it. What did I, what content did I create? I immediately went for what I would usually do, which was like a glittery, smoky eye tutorial. Let's be real. I am not even, I'm barely putting deodorant on in that season. Okay. <laughs> so what in was I even thinking in my right mind going into that room? And it looked like a freaking mess of an art project. And I remember one smoky eye in my, you know, like your, your, I was breastfeeding. So it's like my boobs started to tingle like, uh oh, it's almost time to nurse. I'm oh feeling a little bit of discomfort. Yeah. When you don't nurse my hormones, I don't know about you, it kind of spikes on me. So oh, I get really yeah. And so that's my body's way of saying it's almost time to release, honey. And you need to, you're full. And so um, I was just like, okay, I have to finish this smoky eye. And then I just stopped and I just had this like coming to Jesus moment. And I said, what are you doing, Cezanne? What? Like, what is this? I had a moment where it's almost like I was looking at the room from an out-of-body experience and saying like, what are you doing? This is so inauthentic to the current hour of life that you're in. And it was a life where I was navigating being a new mom and then trying to jump back into the old me. And it was in that process where I realized the old me is gone and I need to be okay with that. And it was almost like I needed time to grieve that and, and to actually feel that emotion of like that old person, like I got to say bye, at least for now. And in this current stage of my life, because that's just not, I'm not going to be doing a smoky eye for a while. And so I felt inspired to finally just re-record that video and just be real and tell these girls, this is what I'm actually going through. And it really was amazing because it ended up launching a series um, that I called Makeup and Motivate. And it wasn't even about the makeup. It was about encouraging people and using makeup as the gimmick. And that suddenly started to bring back a lot of my just excitement for what I do for a living. And I think that's also important. Sometimes when you're in that fog phase, it's not that you don't want to work or you don't want to like reunite with some of your passions, but it's finding the the right way to do it in the safest way for you. And so getting to do something that I felt like was exciting and serving the community, it also ignited a new spark in my heart for feeding and fueling this audience of mine in a new way. And so second pregnancy was amazing because I learned from the first and it was totally different. And now my third, I don't know what this third pregnancy is going to look like, but I'm definitely going to, you know, like I said, I'm going to stay, I'm going to, I'm going to stand and stay planted where my feet are and in this current season of life. It is probably going to be eating that baby up as much as I can before he gets old. As you know, they grow yes. up so fast. So I I'm finally such a weird. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. I, I feel like I'm in this weird stage right now where it goes by so fast. Like, oh my God, no, it doesn't. It's never ending. Like postpartum is never going to end. Like my life is over. It was just, it was mm -hmm. a lot. I, I felt a lot of what you shared. And now it does go so fast. And I realized, you know, maybe if I did it again, I'd be able to experience it with this different lens, you know, a third time. And anyway, yeah. it's just, it's a, it's a strange thing to be wrapping my head around right now. But with your first postpartum experience, did you experience any depression or anxiety or anything like that? 
Um, yeah, you know, I actually was not clinically diagnosed with postpartum depression because I didn't even know what those symptoms look like. But I would definitely say if I could go back, I 100% had, I would say, a certain level of the blues, you know, maybe especially because it was even through my pregnancy where I was starting to feel it was more of like just an emotional distress constantly and just also wanting to like bully myself like it was just like looking at myself in the mirror I was just mean to myself and it, it and and it was like I always thought postpartum depression meant that oh you don't want to be with your child or that was all that society had ever really talked about through like you know when Brooke Shields had it I remember she was one of the first that really spoke out about it and it was just her experience and so I would always think, oh, well, I don't have that because I love my baby and I, I'm just, baby's not the issue, right? But I definitely, looking back now, I would say that the first time around, I definitely had a, a, a level of the blues. And it, it's hard when that on top of navigating the day-to-day, you just, and there were days I didn't want to get out of bed and not because I didn't have the energy, but it was more of this like emotional rut that I was in and this isolation that I was in. And then you add the layer of social media into it and I'd be nursing and scrolling through my phone and just comparing myself to everybody else's life. And I'm like, I'm never going to, am I ever going to see that light again at the end of the tunnel where I get to do the things that I love, my spin classes again? You know, it was just all of those things that I feel like it's almost like, look, it, it feels a little selfish and you're ashamed to even talk about it or say like, I'm feeling this way. But I definitely Everyone. felt a lot of that on the first time, you know. Yeah. Well, you're also processing, you know, I think the, like, as you mentioned, you're kind of grieving and simultaneously accepting, you're grieving kind of like this life and this perception of yourself that you once had while simultaneously starting to get to know this new person and life and way of living. It's a lot. And I think most women I know experience some form of it, whether it's clinically diagnosed or not, because also at the same time, we have this added pressure. And I'm kind of hearing this as like something that might've been, you know, involved in your experience was like, we grew up during a time where it was all about snapback culture. The cover of magazines was like how I got my baby back in three months after giving birth or three weeks, like ridiculous. And that was glorified and celebrated. And so whether or not we agree with that and it's right or wrong, it's, it was so in our face. And I think that also adds to the pressure, especially with, with social media. Mm. I love that you said that snapback culture that is just so out of style now. And it's so it needs to stay out because there is that, you know, you see the celebrity six weeks after they got pregnant, they're on the cover of people. And it was like this milestone thing for people who get to that point. And it does create that. And nowadays, I think it's more, we see people flaunting a little bit more on social media. You know, you see women, girls back in a bikini and sharing back that in jeans. And, and it just, without understanding maybe the sensitivity of like maybe what some other people are currently going through. And, um, you know, before I had my kid, my, my, my daughter, Valentina, I was, I was like underweight. I was like 9,900 pounds. 
Um, and, and so I had gained 55 pounds with her and it was my body's way of, I think, surviving through the process of pregnancy and needing to do what it needed to do to get that baby safely to the finish line. And so after I had her, I realized, whoa, like in the beginning, that weight just came off like quickly, you know? And then the other half of the weight was like, okay, I need to give it time. I need to continue to fuel my body. And when I do get the clearance to start working out again, I need to be kind to my body, no matter what it looks like in whatever season of life for the rest of my life. Because what this body just did was so miraculous. And I got to witness how it literally birthed a child. I said to myself when I was working out again, I said, there's no excuse. You're definitely, you can definitely do a push up after you just pushed out a baby. Okay, girl. I go so there a lot. Been- <laughs> like I had a baby. I can do this. <laughs> yes. It like motivates you and your body suddenly now motivates you in a really great way. And I said, you know, if this is going to be the home to my future babies, I want to treat it right. I want to do the best that I can do to be kind to it, to fuel it, to nourish it, work out, be active. But I'm never going to bully this body again the way that I just did for nine months and prior my whole life. As women, we just do that from the moment we start to feel insecurities in middle school and high school and comparisons of different body types and things. And so I said, no more. And so magazine covers and all of that, if I see them today and somebody is like so snatched, I'm like, okay, good for them. You know what I mean? You do too. Exactly. (laughs) That does not mean that we need to go down the rabbit hole of shaming ourselves and our bodies. So important. I think your perspective is so beautiful on that as well. And just how our bodies are amazing. It's incredible what they can do. And we also need to be strong and show up for our families. And part of that is taking care of ourselves and loving ourselves. You know, you can only love others when you really love yourself. And mm-hmm. part of that is, you know, this body we have. Yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit. You have such an interesting piece of your story, which really ties back to, you know, your culture and where you come from and your family. And I know that your parents met your partner, Steve, and your daughter when she was eight months old. Can you tell us about what led to that moment and how that might have shaped your experience as a parent? Yeah, that was um, that was quite a journey getting to the day where I got to see, you know, my parents, specifically even my dad, um, you know, getting to meet my husband and his first granddaughter for the first time. That was like, whoa, it's one of those moments in life that you'll always bookmark and it'll, you'll never forget the day and how it all went down. For me, you know, when I married Stevie in 2015, my parents didn't come around at that time because of cultural reasons. You know, my background being Kurdish, um, you know, I grew up and I was born in America, but my parents weren't. And so, with the Kurdish people, you know, we don't even have a, a place to call our own home on the map. We are the people group in the Middle East that's kind of wrapped up and surrounded by so much chaos. And all we want is our freedom in our own land. And so I think a lot of that fear that my parents had when they saw that I was going to marry somebody who was not Kurdish was that fear of like losing that part of my identity that, well, she's, there goes you know, dying off, you know, uh, a, a legacy that, you know, 
our, our grandfathers, my, me and my siblings, my two grandfathers, they fought for that land and for the freedom. So we have a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in our ancestry line fighting for the Kurdish cause. And so I think my parents, I knew that the day would come when I would hopefully find that right guy. And I would always try to pray, please, God, give me the perfect Kurdish guy that also fits all of my perfect little boxes that we can check off. Also, he's exactly who my parents would want. That's all you want to do as a kid. You want to make your parents proud. And so that for me for a long time was like my mantra was like, I'm going to make my parents proud. And then I meet Steve and everything changed. And I had to, again, surrender after I met him in college to this this beautiful life that I think God was obviously the matchmaker of. And he was so, I talk about God so much because, you know, for me at the time in that season of life, I was literally searching for more. And sometimes when you feel like you don't have the answers within yourself, sometimes society and the world, the answer is like, you got this, you know, you're stronger than you think, like search within your, you know, believe in yourself. What do you do when yourself is no longer sufficient? It's like a phone that is dead and you need to charge it to an outlet. And that outlet is outside of the phone. It's outside of self. So for me, I had to go on that journey and ask those really difficult and curious questions about, is there is there a higher being really? Because I need a miracle here because I'm falling in love with this guy who is not Kurdish. And I'm also really lost in my path at the time in college. So it was literally a God thing, like Jesus coming into the picture and into my life. And when he did, Stevie, suddenly it's like he was always meant for me and I would fight it. Um, and, and it was really tough because we did get married. We paid for our own wedding. My parents were not at my at my wedding. And it took two years after that for my dad, for me to talk to my dad again. And that was hard because I'm a daddy's girl. And I know for him, it must have been hard too. He was always checking in on me through my siblings and they would tell me stuff. And I'm like, this is so dumb. Like, let's bury this. Like, let's, you know, and I also knew while I was trying to be persistent and nurture the healing stage of that relationship with my parents, I also knew that they were hurt. And even though I didn't agree with why they were hurt, I knew I needed to give them that that space and that respect to go through what parents will go through sometimes when you worry about your kids or they maybe fall off the path that you had always dreamed of for them. And it was all out of love. So I couldn't be mad at them. So for me, it was just like, all right, I felt like I need to step aside and I have to let God do whatever he's going to do to repair this relationship. It could take two months. It could take 20 years. And that, that not knowing part felt really scary, especially when you're disowned, you wonder like, am I ever going to get to go home again? And am I ever going to get to introduce you to my amazing husband? Like you would love him if you gave him a chance. And it was literally by the grace of God, I saw things were changing in my family all around and slowly but surely, brick by brick, we were not only able to, you know, repair the relationship that was once lost because of this decision to marry a man outside of my culture, but we were able to rebuild something and do it new. And I feel like today my relationship with my family is way better than it has ever been because I'm walking in in that truth, no longer have to lie about my life and what I want to do and what, who I want to be, who I want to marry. And there's just so much beauty in walking in that truth. And so 
They love him now more than me. They're literally <laughs> like, he's just, you got lucky with him, Saz. And I'm like, I know. But it's just, and then, and then you, bring, you bring grandkids into it. It's like, yeah. come on. The rest yeah. is great. When he saw Valentina that day, saw Stevie, it was like a reunion from the heavens because he just like, I remember he was holding Teeny and then I was standing in the kitchen and Stevie was standing across from him and they were having like small talk. And at one point I remember my dad just kind of pulled me into his arm and that right there was all I needed without words, (laughs) everything that we had been through, all of the pain, all of the nights that I had cried, wondering if I was the worst daughter in the world or God, are you ever going to really do something here to repair this? It was like without words, that nudge of bringing me back into his arms was like an amazing thing. And it also was just, I felt the, I'm sorry. I felt the, I love you. I felt the, you know, I, I forgive you. I forgive myself. And it was just this beautiful moment in my life that I'll never forget. Yeah. Do you think that your experience of, because you reconnected with them when Valentina was eight months old, was there a fire lit within you to really be more active in pursuing that reconnection after becoming a mom? Or did that change your view on what your parents were experiencing? Like, how did that factor in? For sure. That's such a great question. I think after I had my daughter, I was navigating a lot of things that as a new mom, I'm like, oh my gosh, now I know like this is this is like the love that everybody talks about. And suddenly I would I would rely on my mom too. Um, my mom definitely came around before my dad. So she had a had a relationship with me and and Stevie before that. So she would come and visit us in LA and she would show me all the ways to like to give the baby a bath and all this stuff. And I had this newfound respect for my mom because my mom really is like, she would go all out for her family. Like since she was 13 years old, she raised all her 10 siblings. She worked jobs from like 12 to, you know, 50. Like she's just such a go-getter and a hard worker, but she sacrifices everything for her family. And so I looked, I was able to see her in a new, beautiful light that everyone talks about. Like one day, you know, we hear our parents say, one day you will appreciate this, or one day you will know why I'm doing this. And I get that now. And I'm experiencing that now in so many different ways. And I think it's like, after I became a mom, I was so overwhelmed that all I wanted was my mom. You know, you become this little baby again and you're like, what do I do? So to have that kind of support and example was really a blessing. And I, and now more than ever, I always look at my mom and I'm like, she really went in today making this feast for everybody. Like, let me be sure to tell her like, mom, you did an amazing job. Like, Words of affirmation is not always the biggest thing in my family. <laughs> so I was just like, I know that's going to bless her too. It was just like, I need to be more vocal about you're an amazing mom. You, you're your best cook. Those little things I think I've, I've picked up after becoming a mom, because when my daughter now says like, mommy, I love the way you did my hair today. I'm like, oh, I love that. And I realized that all moms need that positive reinforcement totally. and, and affirmation. Oh, you're never too old or too young for it. But you also seem to have, beyond having this newfound empathy and understanding for your parents and their relationship and love for you, it seems like you also started to understand that they had a different love language and you found a way to really show them the way you love them. And 
it sounds like you have a very clear understanding of the way you like to be loved as well, which is pretty powerful to learn about yourself. It is, tremendous. you know, the five love languages book. I highly recommend if anybody's like, what are, what is my love language? I think you can take a quiz now online too. Um, but it's knowing your love language is really powerful because you'll know how to, you know, vocalize and communicate what you need from like the people around you and from your spouse or your significant other, but then you're a little bit more empathetic and in tune with other people's needs. And so while my love language, definitely the top is like words of affirmation and, um, uh, not quality time. (laughs) I'm like, not quality time. No, um, service, acts of service and words of affirmation and then quality time. Um, and, and I just know that like my husband's, for example, his is 100% physical touch and quality time. So those two are not on my top. So when I sometimes try to show my love for my husband, I'm like picking up all his clothes and folding them, putting things neatly in the drawer. And then I'm like, Hey, did you notice that? And he's like, oh, well, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, sorry. And I'm like, but like, did you really love it? Like what? I would have died if somebody did that for me. And I've learned it's because the way that we receive love through our love language is not always the same as what you need to give to somebody else. So it's the same with my family and my parents. Like, you know, they have their, I've seen their emotional responses and been able to figure out like what really blesses them. And my mom is totally a words person and she just hasn't heard it enough in her life. You know, she's just worked so hard as a refugee who then came here to this country as an immigrant. And like, I just know she's always just been go, go, go. I got to work hard to survive, to stay here, to be here. And so I think sometimes when we just slow down and we're like, mom, you're doing an amazing job. It kind of catches her by surprise and you can tell it really blesses her. So I need oh, to do more of that. That's my that's beautiful. <laughs> you think you've learned the love languages of your children? Do you, have you, have you started to see that developing just yet? I bet you've played that too. Cause like, yeah. it's just so fun. That you're starting to see them, especially around two. Um, I would definitely say I've, I've, I've made my guesses. I think Valentina is definitely a quality time person. If I just go hide away in a closet with her and sit there while she plays her little make believes, she thrives. But when I try to do that with my second Amari, she's like, come on, mom, let's go. She's not like really about that. Um, I definitely think Amari is more physical touch like her daddy, because she'll just come and cuddle or grab my hand and want to hold it. And I'm like, I wouldn't think to naturally do that because that's not my language. So it's really sweet when you can pick up on it. I think it's, it's powerful. And then I also do the Enneagram thing too, which, you know, that's a whole nother podcast episode. <laughs> Ooh, give us a little teaser. <laughs> what, what do you think I am? Okay. I'm going to let you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're so wise. Okay. You obviously have two right now. You're on the precipice of having three kiddos. Tell me a little bit about that transition from one to two. I feel like we don't talk about that a lot in, you know, the wider culture. How was that for you? Dang, going from, I would say, honestly, it was harder for me going from one to two than zero to one. Um, because once you have the baby, that baby is kind of just a glob for a while. And it's like, it's just navigating the fog at that point. 
But then when you go from one to two, you think, I thought at least, I was like, oh, I got this. I've already been through this. So there's a lot of things that I wasn't so hesitant about that I was the first time. I was so much more confident, but it was that part of like, wait, there's actually two now. So when one is like napping, I don't get to clock off or take a nap. It's like, I'm still taking care of this other kiddo. But I think coming, getting through that, and then you have the whole, well, now you're going from zero. Now you're having three. And then I'm hearing it all over my Instagram. Saz, you're going to be outnumbered. You know, you see that and it's like, I know. And it's kind of scary. But I remember I told Stevie one night when we were laying in bed, I said, babe, we're going to be outnumbered. Like, what are we going to do? Like, and he had the best response ever. He said to me, he said, when you're in the thick of it as a parent right now, when all your kids are little and going to be running around sort of taking over, it does feel really daunting and overwhelming. But he said, I believe that in life, when you become outnumbered as we get older, it's actually a really beautiful thing. He said, imagine when our kids are like 19, 20 years old, we want to see them all running into the house when we're old and boring. And we want to like hear about their lives. And we want to be overwhelmed by like and outnumbered by all of the things going on in their lives. And I don't think we think about that sometimes, but it gave me this really, it gave me a new perspective. And I said, that is something really beautiful to look forward to. It's like, yes, we're going to be outnumbered, but imagine later on in life, we're going to love that we get to be a part of their lives. And that oh. outnumber is a blessing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I was like, I love you, baby. Because you want to go for number four? I said, Steve. I go. We're taking this one baby at a time. I don't know about wow. four. We'll see, honey. I think three might be that might be it for us. But I thought that was a really beautiful perspective that we share. It is okay. Steve might need to come on the podcast next. <laughs> so, what is your what does your support system look like now? And how are you thinking about three? Obviously, you both work together, which I do want to talk about. Um, how does that work right now? How do you do it all? <laughs> well, I'm so glad that we're back in Texas because, you know, I have family in Dallas. They're three hours away. So we get sometimes tuck away and go spend time with them. And then we have Steve's family here in Austin. So they're about 30 minutes away. And so we have cousins and grandparents here. And so it's nice to have just that family tribe where we can have that community and it's family here. You know, whereas in LA, we had sort of figure out and make that community for ourselves. So it's already, we already have the family here on the day to day when we work for ourselves, it's like a blessing and a curse because you just know that there's days where you get nothing done. And then there's days where you get so much done. What we realized was when we had Valentina, we tried getting some help. Like I think it was around four months and we learned a lot through that process because we realized when we had support, like we hired a nanny to help us, it actually in that season of life, if I could go back, I would have waited only because it almost complicated the day even more because I felt like I was babysitting the nanny sometimes. Like I would have to walk her through. I was just like, cause I was just not structured at that time. And I didn't, I didn't know what the baby's going to need and what their schedule is. And so um, now what's, we're in a really good place now because, you know, Valentina is going to start kindergarten this year oh, in the fall. Exciting. And then our little Amari is going to go to a preschool for, you know, a few hours a day. And then we have this incredible we have an incredible like house assistant that is, she's like a house assistant slash babysitter nanny. I mean, Dream. I think what's amazing <laughs> with her is that she'll come in and really help me 
just with a lot of the house stuff, I can get really into the chores and all of that. And so if I have to work, this is my office. So it has to be somewhat kept together, well kept. So we all work together as a team. It literally takes a village to raise your kids and you got to do what works for you and not feel ashamed if you need to ask for help and to not be so hard on yourself if you are doing it alone because you can't afford help. It's like, give yourself grace when you need it and just don't be afraid to ask friends and families and, and people if they can babysit because there's yeah. so many people that you'd be surprised <laughs> who will step up to the plate and help you, even if it's getting in a date night or some me time. Yeah, I think it's, we're, plagued as a society with this idea of superwoman syndrome where we kind of have to give do it all. And a huge learning for me was accepting help, especially mm-hmm. in this season of having younger children and needing support from my family or needing a nanny or whatever it might be. And there's no shame in it. It's actually really empowering. And I can be a better mom when I have the support I need. And, um, you know, and yeah, it, I feel very lucky and privileged to have that support, but it's it's tough. It's tough to it find is. the right. And I, and right. I always say, I'm like, I would rather instead of going and splurging on a shopping spree or mm-hmm. buying the nicest, newest, trendiest designer handbag, I'd rather put that money towards babysitters yes, and be too. able to have support or yeah. maybe an Instacart membership because yes. where you can save yourself time is just such a, I see it as such a beautiful thing. Cause like you said, when you can really show up for you, you'll be able to show up for them in a better way. And all our kids want is to see us happy. And when we show up and we're kind of just a, a happier version of us, a lot of the times it's because we are still fueling and filling our own love tanks. So I just would encourage anybody listening to like kind of check your meter on your love tank and just ask yourself, like, am I running on empty lately? What do I need to do to give myself a little bit of life back, a little bit of love? And don't feel guilty about it. Don't be ashamed if you have to ask your husband or a, a family member or a friend, hey, can you come over this week for just like two hours so that I can go? my nails done or whatever. I think it's important we constantly stay in tune with that meter because if we're not taking care of us, there's no way that we can take care of them. And so I think that's an important message today that that yes. we should all celebrate because our Absolutely. parents generation, my parents generation at least, they did oh, not yeah. they didn't that wasn't really a thing. That was not the they narrative. Were, it was like, no, we got to survive, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and there was like a lot of martyrdom and, you know, sacrifice and um right. you know, it's just so I want to quickly touch on working with your partner. You obviously work together very closely. How has that changed since becoming parents? It's definitely gotten more structured and we've had to be a little bit more disciplined with our time when we do work together because there are days where he's definitely got the daddy hat on more than I can put on the mommy hat and vice versa. In our home, It's not so much like the traditional where we've seen in our families, you know, dad goes to work and mom stays home and holds it down, does the cleaning, does all of that. Stevie and I have a very 
um, open and honest, loving relationship. And there's just a lot of humility where my husband's not afraid to go and put the, the gloves on and clean the toilets and like cook dinner for everyone and take the girls to the park. And I love that we have a relationship where it's more like a team and where, where and when we need to step up for each other, we will do that. And I, I love having that first and foremost, because then that creates, I think, the comfort that we need to be able to then show up for our business, knowing that that's being taken care of. And then for our business life, I mean, that's that's probably the one area where we joke when couples ask us, what do y'all fight about? But that's really the only area that we sometimes have disputes is like overrunning business, a business together. Because we both have our own ideas. We're both creative mind thinkers. And especially when it comes to our SNS goods brand that we have candles that we've created, we will sometimes butt heads on like, no, I don't think that that, that label is going to work or whatever. We just had a meeting today and it was like in front of, <laughs> it was in front of like my manager on a zoom call. And I'm just like, it felt like he was like the therapist. The manager became the therapist. And Stevie was like, yeah, no, I don't think we need to do this for 2023. And then I was like, well, I do. I think we need to do this. And then it was just kind of like, he's like, okay guys. So what I'm getting from this is you guys actually are agreeing on the same thing, but out here, and it was just a hysterical moment where I'm like, we really like, it's just, it's because we're so passionate. We're passionate people about what we do and putting our best foot forward. So we're still learning sometimes how to navigate, you know, two strong wheels when it comes to our business creative thinking. But we've gotten so much better since being parents because parenting forces you to be a pillar for your family. And it forces you to communicate more about the things that are happening in your household. How are we going to address this? How are we going to discipline? How? So you really have to be a team in, in that. And so I, it's actually helped and carried over into the business world as well and, and, and just communication. So it's, it's good. The kids have been good for us, I will say. Good. I, I find that so many people answer similar variations of this question with like actually becoming a mom or a parent has led me to be a better operator at work or better manager, you know, more efficient with my time. So it's really beautiful to hear how some of those lessons kind of cross over between our two different roles, whether they be, you know, work or home life, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, we have to wrap up, but I want to ask you one final question. Looking back on your journey and what you've learned through your experience as a mom thus far, you know, what is the most valuable advice you can share with our listeners? The most valuable advice I will share, and I'm going to keep it so simple because I want each and every single person listening to really remember this. It's to love yourself where you are and to love where you are right now, despite not being where you want to be. You know, I think that's one of the most challenging, but one of the most beautiful things that I wish somebody would have told me was like, just love where you are right now, even though you're not where you want to be. And there's so much blessing, I think, and goodness around you. But sometimes we're too busy looking at the next thing or those expectations that we forget to just be present in the now. So just love where you are right now, despite not being where you want to be. I love and that. Everything will, work out. everything will work out how it's it meant will. to be. It will. Oh. You are, I could talk to you forever. I, think. I could talk to you for hours. So <laughs> I fun. feel like our listeners could listen to you forever. You are so full of wisdom and such a beautiful perspective on life and motherhood. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate you so much. 
Thank you. I appreciate you, Alex. Thank you. And uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for tuning in to Parallel Lives. Stay tuned for new episodes and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like today's show, we'd be forever grateful if you take a moment to rate and review us. You can find us online at parallelhealth.com. That's P-E-R-E-L-E-L health.com or on Instagram at Parallel Health. I'm Alex Taylor, and you've been listening to Parallel Lives. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today's episode was made possible by the company that I co-founded alongside my co-founder, Tori, and Dr. Vyadi, which is Parallel. We are the first and only OBGYN-founded women's vitamin, offering targeted nutrition for each unique stage of the motherhood journey, from preconception through each individual trimester, because mom and baby need different nutrients to support them, and into postpartum. We created this product because we felt completely failed by the available options on the market. There was an opportunity to create more targeted nutrition for each of these stages. And so we turned to the nation's top doctors to formulate these products. So each product is meticulously formulated by our founding team of world-class doctors, which includes notable OBGYNs, widely published maternal fetal medicine doctors, award-winning endocrinologists in partnership with functional medicine doctors, naturopaths, nutritionists, and even doulas. It was so important for us to create a product that both Eastern and Western medicine doctors could agree on. I personally take the mom multi-pack. I have a little one who's two years old and four years old but we have incredible products for all the different stages. So for all of you listening, we are going to offer you a very exclusive 20% off your first month with code PODCAST20. So head to parallelhealth.com. That's P-E-R-E-L-E-L health.com and use that code.